hello, and welcome back to the SLP Corner podcast. Leanna from SpeechWorks Therapy is back. She came on before and we talked all about budgeting, and today we are going to be talking all about buy-in. So first of all, welcome back to the SLP Corner podcast. So glad to be back. So I, as everyone knows, recently started working. I'm working at a private practice, so there's a lot of parent involvement, and I'm just so excited to be talking about this topic with you because I think that buy-in isn't something that I kind of learned a lot about in my, in my classes or my placement, because I found my placement was often focused on like therapy planning and goal setting and things like that. And I think the side of parental involvement and everything to do with buy-in, I never, I'm, I'm actually finding that to be a big learning curve right now. So, so yeah. So first, can we just, can you explain what buy-in is and why it's important just to make sure we're all on the same page when we're we're listening? Yeah. And that's the same experience that I had too in grad school. It wasn't parent involvement. It was identify, diagnose, treat, which that's an important part of our job, but it's also important to get that buy-in. And when I think buy-in, I think, okay, not only do I want you to agree with what I'm recommending for your child, but I want you to help me do those things. And I've had parents tell me before, oh, well, I'm not the expert. No, but I am. And I can give you tips and techniques to do that. When I first worked for companies, I would print out the report or at the end of the evaluation, if I had the opportunity to score, if it was a simple test that didn't take a lot of extraneous scoring for the DEMS or the affluency evaluation where I could easily say, okay, yes, your child is going to qualify for services. Then I would say, okay, look, this is where your child is. This is where we need them to be. This is how much work we have to do. I automatically say that it's not, it's not all about me. Carrie Ebert posted something last year. It was a visual. She did the math. And think about a child, average age, is awake for 12 hours a day. And put that time seven days a week, that's 84 hours a day that they're awake. Now, I'm only seeing your kid for one, maybe two hours, depending on the amount you know, of services that are needed. She took a bowl of M&Ms, put white M&Ms, 83 white M&Ms, and one red M&M, and said, okay. I'm the red M&M and everybody else is the white M&M. Look how much opportunity we have to use these techniques. I may be the expert, but I can still train you on what you can do in the meantime between those two, five, seven, 14 days that we see each other. So that way those skills are constantly being worked on. And when I do my case history form, I also ask them, what are your concerns? What do you want out of the therapy? I love that analogy. I will, I will send it to you so you can see it. It's amazing. I had to search it because I was thinking of it last night and I thought, oh my gosh, yes. So I will send it to you. Awesome. Yeah. I'll put that on my story or maybe we can, yeah, we can add it. I want people to see that because that's so nice how you explain that. I'm not a parent. So I, I, I'm not either. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So sometimes I find like I want them to be in the room and I want to be them to be kind of doing it with us. But then I'm also always like, especially since I'm a new clinician, so I don't mm-hmm. have years under my belt, 
but I'm like, maybe they're just really tired and they don't want to be in the room or maybe they just really feel like drained today or I don't know what they or maybe they need to be cooking dinner because this is the only time that you can see their kid and yes and then it's like they have other kids and it just gets more complicated so right yeah like I want to like kind of learn from you like because you don't want to just be like you have to do this but like how would you approach them to just okay. encourage it and make them want to do it and make them want to be part of it. So I kind of do that subtle instead of saying, this is my job to do this. It's okay. We're going to get him. It's we, cause I don't have an associate. I don't, it's just me. So that's like that inferred, you're going to help do it too. And when I'm doing an activity, if the parent has the opportunity to sit down and do the activity as I'm talking them through it, I'll give you an example um, from Saturday. I saw a patient on Saturday because I work six days a week and he was working on, he loves puzzles. And so it was three letter puzzles. And so it was like box and it was an F and O and X and he had to put it together. Well, she knows he knows vocabulary. And so she's kind of like, why are we working on this? Oh, I'm working on WH questions. And she went, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. Just left it at that. So yeah, it's, this is a great way to do this. So you just kind of give that knowledge and kind of test out and see if they're interested. And then what I could do is I could say, oh, okay, um, now the the session's finished, go get your favorite toy real quick. Or we've only got a few minutes left, go get your favorite toy, we'll play with that. And then they see me playing with the toy with the kid and using those techniques too. So I'm like implementing those strategies into something that's already in the home. And that's kind of something that I talked about on the other podcast where it was the cookie tray. A lot of people have cookie trays. You can use it for so many different things. You can use it as a dry erase board. You can use it as a magnet center if you have one of those fancy fridges that magnets won't stick to. And when they think of things like, oh, I just need this and this, and then I can do that. Wow, that's so easy. Or I'll tell parents if they ask me, I don't even know. I don't know how to do, I don't know how to work on prepositions. I'll say, okay, does your kid help you set the table? Yes. Okay. So tell them, I want you to put the plate on top of the placemat. I want you to put the glass next to the plate. I want you to put the napkin under the fork. There you go. So you're using those skills in their daily routines. So it's not... I don't want parents to think that, oh my gosh, that's just another thing that we have to put on our plate. And especially if the kid is school-aged and then you've got um, different activities like after-school extracurriculars. No, three to five minutes, once a day, once every other day. And don't, don't kind of push in and say, you have to do this. Just kind of put it, generalize it into your regular activities, things that you do all the time. If you're talking, if it's t- um, bath time, do sequencing. What do we do first? Oh, we have to fill the bathtub with water. Then what do we do? Oh, then we get in and then we wash and then we dry and then we're all done. So it's all these things. And I know that we inherently know these things, but I think it helps when someone makes it visual for you or explains it. And you're like, why didn't I think of that? Well, your, your job is to be mom. My job is to be professional, to give you those tips so you can do them. You work a lot in the home, it sounds like. Yes, I, all of my patients, unless they're um, in daycares, yeah. Right now, 100% of my caseload is in the home. 
Okay, I, I love those strategies for working at home. And then I thought I could add a few things that I learned if you're in a clinic, because sometimes yes. it's hard. That's one of the great things about in-home therapy. The generalization is it's, it's, it's nice because those activities that they're doing are literally in the room that you're doing therapy in. Right. Mm-hmm. One thing that my mentor, she's the owner of my clinic that I'm working at. And one thing that she told me also is something you could do if you're in clinic is you could make a little like document with the parents even, or you could just talk about it. Depends what you mentioned, like if you're visual, it's really helpful right. to have that visual, or you could just talk it through, but kind of like what are three toys they like, or what are three things you do in the week? Like what are three kind of activities yeah. Do you go for a walk in the evening or what right. are things you're doing? And then just talking it through like, okay, so during this activity, you'll do, you can try doing this and just like nice. giving them examples and talking it yes. through because even if you don't have access to their toys or their activities that they're kind of doing or using, you can kind of walk through like what a day looks like. And I love your setting the table example. I love examples of goals that are in routines because so often when I tell parents, like I'm learning so quickly not to kind of give them extra. Right. To do. Yes it's exhausting. And so it's like, oh, bath time, setting the table, mm-hmm. cleaning up, like yes. those types of things are so nice. Yeah. And I've got a, um, a couple patients on my caseload that have um, short frenulums. So we're working on um, one of them. His is pretty severe. So we're just trying to get him prepared for um, some surgical intervention but another one of my kids it was post-surgery and he has trouble with tongue elevation to get that l on the alveolar ridge well his last name has an l in it so it's super important that we get that word or get that um, sound in and so i would tell the caregiver i'm like okay he loves to brush his teeth right she said yes and i said and you have that large mirror where he can see you and him at the same time so just lightly hold the jaw open, have him touch his toothbrush five times, then brush his teeth, have him touch his toothbrush five times over here, five times over here, that's it. She goes, that's it? And I said, yeah, just when he brushes his teeth. You can do it every day, you can do it just the one, like in the morning when he brushes his teeth. Don't make it a thing, just integrate it into your day. And then it becomes that carryover, it becomes more fluid, it becomes more habit, more ritualistic and that's how you learn or that's how you adapt things into your daily routine is that the more oftentimes you do it the more it becomes habitual and I think that's the key to that progression it's not okay I have to sit down and do R 20 times and then I'm gonna go and do the rest of my day and not worry about my R I'll tell my parents if you're focusing on a certain sound and they're working on it in carryover do I caught you's so if we're sitting at the dinner table and he says, um, I want red juice. Oh my gosh, you just said that with your sound. That was amazing. Dad, go put a sticker on the refrigerator or whatever. And so then they're like, oh my gosh, the more often I say it, the more praise I get, the more habit. I love that you just, I've never heard the term I caught use. <laughs> that is so cute. I'm actually yes. going to use that for some of my yes. kids who are with our tick, especially because like, that can be more motivating. For it is. I love that. Because I've seen them, they'll be playing with me and then they'll say, oh, Miss Leanna, <gasps> did you just say your L sound the right way? And you physically see them 
straighten up. And they say, yeah, well, good for you. That was amazing. I didn't even have to give you any cues. You did that all by yourself. That was amazing. And then they're like, oh my gosh, it's that self intrinsic, like that, that intrinsic worth. And oh my gosh, I want to do this all the time because I want to be proud of myself. I want people to be proud of me too. It's nice because so often we catch kids doing something wrong or doing something we don't want to see a negative behavior. So it's so nice to catch them when they're doing something yes. positive or when they're working on something that's harder for them. And so it's nice to focus on that and catch them doing something more yeah. positive. Okay. So we've been talking a lot about like kind of parental buy-in, very focused on parents, community buy-in. What does that look like? What are your thoughts on community buy-in? Um, when I do community buy-in, I think more of the school setting. Um, I know that when I worked in the schools, it was the kids would come to my room, we would do the secretive little speechy thing, and then they would go back to class. I had the opportunity, I worked um, at a great school, and they gave me a little bit of carte blanche when it came to what kind of activities I wanted to do. Obviously, talked it over with um, administrative staff, and this is obviously pre-COVID, so things are a lot different now. But what I would do is I would do scavenger hunts and I would involve different staff. Um, I would involve teachers. I would like figure out whose conference periods they were in. And I even started this, to be honest, I started this um, my third year out. So it's my second full year with my full licensure. And it was for my fluency group. And they were terrified. And I said, that's okay. We're going to do this anyway. And so they would have to read a little thing that was written on a card and then determine who in the school it identified with. Okay. So it would talk about maybe the PE teachers. They would go to the PE teacher and they would say, they would have to introduce themselves, which the PE teacher knew who they were because they see everybody, but they would say, okay, is this you? And then they would have to read. So you got that spontaneous and then you got the structured and then they would say yes. And then they would give a card and then they would read that card or they would hand it to the next kid. They would read that card. They would figure out who, and they would go to the next person. And so instead of it being like, okay, I go to the speech room, I do the speech thing. And then I go back to my classroom. It made it to where, look, these kids are working on these things. And they, the teachers would encourage them. They would say, that was great. I love what you just read that beautifully. Thank you so much. I understood everything. Here you go. Or I did at the um, most recent school, I did an Easter egg hunt. And so then if it was an Easter egg, they all had their own little bingo sheets and staff would ask them, what are you working on today? And so it didn't become a stigma, but more of an encourager, like, okay, what are y'all doing while you're doing this? Um, I haven't had this opportunity yet. I would love to do it in the future for one of my kids, if, especially if they're working on an augmentative communication device. I have a few patients um, that have them and you use them in the community. So meet mom and dad and kid or mom and kid or whoever at the grocery store or at a fast food restaurant and have them order using that and kind of promote to people who are unaware that these are, you know, these are different things. Obviously, would do it HIPAA. We wouldn't, you know, violate by saying names or anything like that, but just have the opportunity for everyone to see these are the different things that these kids are working on and they're hard, but they're doing it. And 
they need to be understood that they're a worthy member of society, even if they might stutter a little bit, even if they use a different way to communicate. And I, I want people to understand that in the community, there are these different ways. Communication is not just what comes out of your mouth. It's gestures, it's vocalizations, it's picture symbols, it's augmentative communication, it's all these things. And I think that if we can kind of expand that knowledge, then it will be easier and there won't be that stigma that's associated with being in therapy or have to be in special education because it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be seen that way. It's just, they have a different way of learning just like everybody else does. I like that because it's, it goes back to how you first began this podcast talking about the M&M jar and how there's so many hours in a day and parents are just a few and the therapists are just a few. So who are all those other people and getting all those other people involved are so important. Yes. And especially even um, relatives. I have a patient that I work with and he's made a tremendous progress in the past two years that we've worked together. And he spoke with his grandfather via Zoom and he hadn't seen him in a while. And at the end of the phone call, you know, he went off and played and mom was talking to grandpa and he, he said, I understood almost everything he said. That was amazing. And he could have that conversation, even when it was in the earlier stages where it was difficult, parents and grandparents didn't give up. They're like, oh really, tell me more. Even if they may not understand exactly, they're engaging saying, what you're saying or what you're trying to tell me is worthy and I want to be a part of it. This reminds me, my niece, she sees SLP OT. And so my, oh, wow. my mom, yeah, and my mom's her, her grandma. So she will often kind of go to the sessions. And I like, this is why I like when, I like when different parents or different relatives come to the yes. like, oh, Hello, nice to meet you. Yes, you get to teach somebody new. <laughs> yeah, because then I see my mom and she's working on the, like she literally got this whole setup for one of the OT goals for like putting um, beads, working on fine motor and switching hands. And it was just so nice to see. And I was like, oh, that's so great that you you went and you learned and you're not the parent. But now yes. you're, when you see her, you're also working on those goals. So it's so nice. Yes. And I like the opportunity if parents allow me to, if they have that availability, is to explain things in terms that they understand. I am a huge visual person and I am all about the handouts, the Caroline um, Bowen phonological process chart, the, the speech sound development chart, which has been updated and I need to find an updated visual on that um, for the different age determinations. But I'll tell parents, and even with Zoom, which makes my job a lot harder, I was trying to work with a dysarthric patient to try to find out if he was retroflex or bunched R. And I was really, I was like, mm, how are we gonna figure this out? Because I can't see in your mouth as well as I would like to. So I popped up the whiteboard on Zoom and I did a crude portrait drawing of the inside of the mouth and dad was there, mom's a teacher, so um, dad's work schedule allowed him to be present. And so I was like, okay, so when you make your R, does your tongue go here or here? And he goes, I think it goes there. And I said, okay, you're going to be a retroflex. And dad's like, in the corner, you hear him say, I'm a retroflex too, Mrs. B. <laughs> but I love it because then everybody knows and then you can kind of figure it out. So if dad is retroflex, and son is retroflex. If he's saying liver, dad could go, whoa, pull that tongue tip up. 
he automatically knows that cue because he does it too. So I like to try to make it fun. And I try to have my parents turn into mini SLPs for whatever their child is working on. So that way, if I say, oh, he's fronting, oh, he's weak syllable deleting, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And they can even tell other people, oh, well, he just deletes a weak syllable. So elephant's going to come out F it. And they can, they can kind of promote that knowledge as well to other family members. Okay. So to end off, you've talked so much. You've given us so many good tips on, on how to have families practice techniques at home. You've talked about kind of like implementing them into routines, visually kind of explaining it, teaching them. What are, to summarize the podcast, how would, what are just a few maybe core takeaways that you want to leave us with on how to really get families at home working on these techniques, practicing at home, and just being really involved in the therapy process? Well, like you were saying, don't push it on them. You have to do this. For some families, that works, but I am with families who they've got multiple kids with multiple things. So give them one tip a week or one tip a session. Hey, when you're doing this daily routine, insert said objective. Um, and also from the get-go, as soon as you meet parents, make it to where it takes a village. You know, they know that you're the professional. That's why they went to you in the first place. But say, I'm here to help you and help your child advocate. That's what you want. You want someone who's going to advocate for your kid, but also advocate for you to help you have your child be a better communicator. Another thing is try to erase that stigma that anybody with a speech difficulty or difference is bad. Put that community outreach in there. Try to get, if you have social media platforms to demonstrate different ways that you can communicate to make it real instead of just a thing that happens. Awesome, okay, thank you so much for coming on. So everyone can find you at SpeechWorks Therapy on Instagram, Facebook, and Teachers by Teachers. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I I learned so much from you once again. Thank you. It was so fun. Alrighty. I will see everybody next Monday.